0: Bible or a bulletin, we're going to look at a couple of sections from two chapters from the book of Hosea, and let me explain why we're going to do that. Um, we just wrapped up our study last week in, uh, by looking at uh, the book of Galatians, and so what I thought we would do for the rest of the semester is talk about uh, what the church is, and, and let me explain why I want to do this by kind of setting it up this way. It was about 10 years ago that I was in Colorado. I, I was, um, there's a Young Life camp out there called Frontier. Some of you know that. You've been there. And they were having their staff um, I guess like a training week and I was in seminary at the time in Charlotte and so uh, various seminaries would send representatives out to this Young Life camp to basically talk to the Young Life staff people and promote our seminaries on why these staff people should come to our seminary. So I was the selected representative to fly from Charlotte out to Colorado Springs to go visit Frontier to talk to the Young Life staff people about why they should come to my seminary. And I was coordinating all these travel plans with this woman named Barbara. I didn't know who Barbara was. It was just my Young Life contact, Barbara, that I was emailing about how I was going to get picked up from the airport and how I was going to get to this camp and everything. So I fly out to Colorado Springs, land, and as I'm landing, I realize I don't don't really have any way to connect with Barbara. I don't have her cell phone. I don't know what she looks like. I don't know how this is going to happen. And so I just kind of went to the baggage claim area to hopefully um, find her. And sure enough, there was this sweet kind of smaller, older woman holding up one of those signs that said Matt on it. And so I walk up to her and she sees me. and She's like, oh, and she puts down the sign and gives me a hug. And I'm thinking, this is really sweet, this sweet Old woman just embracing me like Christians can do this. We can hug each other even if we've never seen each other before. But the hug went on a little too long. You know what I'm saying? Like it was just a little. It was a little much. And then while still holding me, she leans back, reaches up and touches my face, and goes, "Matt, you have changed so much." (laughs) And now I'm I'm holding this woman. That I now realize is not Barbara. And I don't know where Barbara is, but this is I don't know who this person is. So I have to kind of awkwardly extract myself and go on to tell her, I don't think that I'm the Matt that you're looking for, and I don't think you're who I'm looking for. And so we kind of had this awkward recognition, like that was really strange. But she had to pick her sign back up for Matt, and I had to stand next to her and wait for my baggage to come out of the baggage thing. So it was just awkward sauce all over the baggage claim area. But the reason I, the reason I begin by telling you all that story is because uh, it illustrates this idea that knowing who somebody is has radical implications on how you relate to them. Knowing who somebody really is really affects how you're going to relate to them. And that same principle is true about the church as well. If you don't know what the church is, then you're not going to know how to relate to it. And over the past eight years of me doing full-time RUF work on campuses, I've seen students relate to the church in a lot of different ways, primarily because they don't really know what it is. So, for example, I've met students that really um, distance themselves from the church because they disagree with uh, things that the church does or things that the church teaches. Um, I've met students that have been really severely hurt by the church Um, I've had students say uh, well you know like RUF is my church and so I kind of count this as my church community Uh, I've had students that just kind of that like Jesus but aren't really interested in church frankly because it's just kind of boring like sleep is just way better in terms of those two choices they say um, I've, had student, I've met students that uh, have just kind of f- uh, gathered a couple of Christian friends together and kind of grouped up together on Sunday and, like, do church by themselves. Um, I have met students that are, like, crazy, gung-ho, excited about their church and, like, are involved in their church with anything that the church does. And I have had students that want nothing to do with the church and are kind of open to the idea of Jesus, but frankly, they would kind of say that they're, they're spiritual but not religious and that the church is in some ways kind of a hindrance to even understanding what faith in Jesus even looks like. So tons of different responses, tons of different reactions, and you will not know how to relate to the church unless you know what it is. So what we're going to do for the next... The next five weeks, which is the, the, we've got five weeks left of the semester, at least with an RUF, as far as RUF goes. For the next five weeks, we're going to talk about. We're going to try to answer that question: What is the church? And thankfully, the Bible helps us out a lot because the Bible talks about the church a lot. And it's really interesting the way that the Bible talks about the church. Is it does so by giving you images and uh, pictures of what the church is. It's like it's like the Bible has its own Instagram feed, and so we're going to just take one picture each week and try to get an understanding of what the church is so that we know how to relate to it. And tonight, the first image that I want to show you from the Bible is that the Bible refers to the church as a whore. Graphic, uncomfortable word, but let's look at it. Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have, have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. That's the most I've ever said whoredom in one sentence. <laughs> Verse 3. So he, that's Hosea, went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, And she conceived and bore him a son. Why don't we stop there? I'm going to jump back in and look at chapter 3 in a minute. Let's stop just there and let me pray and we'll talk about that. Father, thank you so much for this time together. Thank you for uh, the university's hospitality and just letting us be in this space. It is so, um, I don't know, I think it's beautiful and really wonderful to be here. And thank you for just the chance for us to get away from school and responsibilities and to reconnect and to see... Faces that haven't been around RUF for a while, and we're just really grateful for this time together. I pray that you would lead us and teach us, open up our eyes and unclog our ears to show us uh, what is true and what is good. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to look at just two ideas that would characterize the church tonight. Two characteristics from this passage about the church. Here's characteristic number one. The church is messy the church is messy. And I want to begin by talking about Hosea for a second. Hosea was a prophet which means that prophets in the Old Testament, God would usually go to prophets and tell them something that they need to say to people. But Hosea is a little weird because God comes to Hosea and rather than give him a message of what he needs to say, he says here's something I want you to go do. I want you to go marry a whore, which is another word for a prostitute. Someone who Uh, sleeps with multiple men for money. And as as the story unfolds, uh, you discover that this is a woman that is um, faithless. She's not faithful. She cheats on Hosea. She has multiple children by other men that Hosea is now responsible for raising. And you just kind of start the book off this way and you're like, WTH? Like, why... This is so weird. Why would God tell this man to go marry a woman like this? And here's why. Because he is going to use their marriage and their relationship as a graphic picture of God's relationship to the church. To his people. Meaning that, uh, and by the way, when I say the word church, I'm not talking about like, The building that you go to on Sundays, I'm talking about the the community of people that assemble in that building on Sunday. It's the people. The community is the church. So the prostitute represents the church. God, or Hosea kind of represents God. That's the picture here. Now, because I'm a pastor, I get to officiate a lot of weddings, which is really fun. Like, I got to do a, a wedding just a couple weeks ago. I think some of y'all were there, in fact. And um, it's really fun because usually in a, in a wedding, you know, you're in this beautiful sanctuary or this chapel or something. And I'm up front, and the groom's right there beside me. And everything's kind of building for this anticipation where uh, the music kind of stands. You know, music cranks up, and everybody stands. And the, you wait for those back doors to open and swing, you know, swing open. And in comes the bride walking slowly with her father. On her arm. And I guess it was a, a couple of years ago, three or four years ago now, I was doing this wedding, and there we were. I was there with the groom. We're in this packed-out sanctuary, and the door opens up. And it's not the bride and her father in the lobby, it's the bride and her ex-boyfriend, like making out. He had come there to, like, rescue her. It was like, get a room. It was gross. That didn't happen, by the way. (laughs) People are so mad at me right now. But... Did you feel how awkward this room got for about two seconds there? The reason why the room got so awkward and because it was so uncomfortable because that is just such an uncomfortable image. Like, here's this bride cheating on the groom during like the wedding and that's the picture that the bible gives about the church like it's graphic it's uncomfortable it's offensive and just so you know he's not this is not talking about like unbelievers people that don't identify as christians so you know when those like quote street preachers show up on campus and they're just shouting at everybody that goes by like oh you're a whore you're a whore you're a whore like that's not biblical they don't understand the bible it would actually be biblical for them to show up at your church in town and do that to the people there, which they shouldn't do because that would be horrible and wrong for other reasons. But you get my point. My point is is that this is talking about people that identify themselves as believers. And he looks at us, you, he looks at me, and he says uh, we, we are regular cheaters on our groom. We're we're backstabbers, we're two-timers we're we're whores And, and I think that image is really helpful for us to understand a couple of different things one is it helps us understand that sin is not just like breaking rules sin is spiritual adultery it's forsaking God as your lover and running into the arms of another lover, it's hooking up with other saviors, that's what sin is But the other reason why I think this image is helpful, even though it's hard and it's offensive, is because I think it helps us, I think it helps explain why so many of us have had hard experiences with the church. Because this says uh, the church is a community of people, according to verse 2, that regularly forsake the Lord. In other words, the, the church is a community of sinners. And sinners tend to do two things: they tend to get things wrong, and they tend to hurt people. Think about here's one example of how the church has gotten something wrong. There is a church that's close to Knoxville. I won't say which one. Uh, I'm I'm familiar with it. I know it. I actually love this church, and it is made. uh, It's kind of a historic, uh, prominent, wealthy, 99.9 percent white church. And some of the leaders of this church were digging through kind of old church records. And they found this, uh, they found something in their records from the 60s. That in the 1960s, there was an African American man and his family that showed up to church one Sunday and wanted to go to Sunday school. And the church turned them away. They just said, You're black, and so you can't come in here. The church got it wrong church got it wrong sinners tend to get things wrong and they tend to hurt people i mean i've heard horrific stories of uh sexual abuse taking place in the church Uh, i would say that i myself was spiritually abused by the church at some level like i was a part of a community of christians that encouraged physical pain in response to like disobedience like still recovering from that experience, <laughs> but like that 's what happened like the church is a mess. it hurts people, it gets things wrong it, it, and it 's really easy to like stand up here and like throw bricks at them like they 're the problem they 're messed up but here 's the thing is like you have to be brave enough to personalize this for yourself as well, because the reality is if you consider yourself a Christian tonight, I know not everybody does, but if you do then you have to acknowledge and admit I'm a spiritual whore as well. Meaning that when you show up to the church, you're part of the problem. And so am I. Like, when we show up to the church, like in that community, we bring with us all of our anger and all of our greed and all of our lust and all of our gossip and all of our uh, the way that we form cliques and the way that we distance ourselves from certain people and the way that we uh, hurt people. Like, we bring all of that junk into the doors with us. And even think about this think about how we talk about trying to find a church. Like, we're part of the problem in how we even look for a church because we call it, what, church shopping, right? We think about it like we're shopping for a pair of shoes. We think, I'm, I'm going I'm to shop around to try to find the best deal. Like, what's the best offer out there? Meaning, uh, what offers me the most amount that requires the least amount for me? And you think, you know, what is so wrong with me... Like, like, is it too much to ask for me to want a church that starts late, that uh, is full of really cool, awesome people, that they all know my name, and the music is awesome, and the preaching is in creds, and they have locally owned coffee? Like, is that so much to ask? <laughs> but, like, that's how we think. It's, we're consumers rather than, like, Christ followers. Like, we're, we're just looking for stuff that requires nothing from us. Even the way that we think about looking for a church is part of the problem. My point is, the church is a mess. Because we're a mess. And the Bible, I want you to know, it does not hide that fact. In fact, it highlights that fact. In fact. If I had more time tonight, I would take you through all these different letters in the New Testament where somebody is writing to a church to try to correct a bunch of the problems that the church is dealing with. I want to give you one example about what I'm talking about. In your Bible, there's a, there are two books called First and Second Corinthians. These are two letters that Paul wrote to a church in this city called Corinth. It would be like writing first and second Noxvillians. And he sends this letter to address and deal with the problems. And good grief, I can't even scratch the surface with how jacked up this church was. Here's a couple of stuff that they were dealing with. Uh, they were fighting and forming cliques and then suing each other. Like literally taking each other to court. Uh, they were getting drunk during the Lord's Supper. Like, can you imagine? Like, that's in the Bible. It says, like, stop getting drunk when you're taking communion. Like, can you imagine going forward, taking communion, like, taking three goblets to the face <laughs> and just getting trashed at church? Um, they, uh, they ignored the poor, and Paul addresses a situation. This is in the Bible. He addresses a situation where a man had developed a sexual relationship with his father's wife. <laughs> I don't even have word we're not going to talk about it but like that's in the bible it's so crazy it's so jacked up but my point is the church is a mess and it's every church there's no exception your church if you're a part of one is a mess she will disappoint you she is full of hypocrites She can be legalistic and judgmental and showy. She can be closed minded and uh, outdated. She can be abusive. She can be irrelevant. She can be full of fighting and factions and friction. The church is a mess. No wonder we have a phrase in our culture called, you know, like spiritual but not religious. Like we all kind of like the idea of Jesus, but like when it comes to the church, we're like, not so much. So let's just scrap it. I mean, who needs it, right? I mean, here's what Justin Bieber said in an interview last fall. You don't need to go to church to be a Christian. If you go to Taco Bell, that doesn't make you a taco. I'm just saying it's hard to argue with that logic. But think about it. If you just scrap the church... If you just said, forget it, you could sleep in on Sundays, you could kind of wake up when you wanted to, still in your PJs, put in your little earbuds or your beats, and you could you know rock out to some Hillsong or Indelible Grace or whatever your thing is. You could download an awesome sermon from like your favorite pastor, and you could have like this amazing, customized, tailor-made spiritual experience just for you, and you get to avoid all the drama, all the issues, all the mess, all the conflict. Like, that sounds amazing, right? Like, for some of us, that does sound amazing. Uh, For God, that sounds horrible. And what we're going to talk about more in depth next week is why you actually need the church. But what I want to talk about for the rest of our time tonight is that I just want you to see God's heart for the church, the way that he feels about the church, and that you disconnecting from the mess that it is actually grieves him. I told you there's two characteristics I want to talk about the church tonight. One is that the church is messy. Here's the second characteristic the church is loved. If you jump over to Hosea 3, uh, we'll pick up there. One pastor said that Hosea chapter 3 is the greatest chapter in your Bible. And I want to try to explain why. Remember, Hosea is his prophet, he's married this prostitute named Gomer. And from chapter one to chapter three, here's what's happened. She's had uh, multiple affairs. She's cheated on him. She's crushed his heart in tons of ways. She's had multiple children from different men that he was not the father of. Uh, she has since left the marriage, and she's now, she now finds herself back in the prostitution ring, and she's owned by this pimp that is selling her at a public auction. That's the scene that we find ourselves in Hosea chapter 3. And God comes to Hosea again, and he says, look, I want you to go get her. She's being sold in this public auction. Go get her. Verse 1 of chapter 3, says, And the Lord said to me, Hosea, go again. Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins oatmeal cream pies they love those cakes of raisins but from verse two onward you get this scene of this public auction and gomer is being sold as a slave and while the details are probably uh, details are a little uncertain um the scene probably would have gone something like this she would have been standing up in front of a crowd of people probably naked so that everybody could like see the product that they're bidding on this is horrible She's up front, and my guess is she's probably head lowered. Her her eyes are closed to kind of shield herself from the shame. And, like, the bidding begins. And, like, people are calling out, like, two shekels, three shekels, four shekels. And as the people are bidding, she hears this familiar voice, five shekels. And she looks up, and it's Hosea, her husband. She's thinking, what is he doing here? Why is he here? And people keep bidding and he keeps outbidding everybody else. And my guess is everybody in the crowd is like, oh this is your wife that you have to buy back? Like you are a joke, like this whole marriage is is a mess, like they're probably mocking him, humiliating him, but he doesn't care he just keeps outbidding everybody else until, you know, like whatever the gavel thing was back then, they bang it and so the auctioneer says, you know, sold to Hosea. And my guess is he probably would have come up onto the stage and wrapped her in some sort of robe or something to cover her up and take her back home. Look at verse 2. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethek of barley. Now Gomer, the prostitute, has to be thinking, like, what in the world? Why did he just do that? After all that I've done for him, why would he do that? And maybe this fear kind of kicks in and she thinks, Maybe it's because he, he, he's, he's going to get me back. Maybe he bought me to torture me, to punish me, to take vengeance out on me. And here's what she hears. She hears his response very tenderly, graciously say to her, verse 3, And I said to her, You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. You know what he's saying? He's saying, look, I want want to live with you. I want you to live with me. I want you to be faithful to me. And I promise I will be faithful to you. He pursues her and he purchases her. And remember, that is the picture of how God relates to the church. Yeah, she's a mess. But he pursues her and he purchases her. Centuries later, after this auction, God actually leaves the comforts of heaven and comes in the flesh of a human being, in the person of Jesus Christ, to pursue his bride. And and, and who does Jesus hang out with when he shows up? He's hanging out with prostitutes, with cheaters, with people that have been unfaithful. He's hanging out with the kind of people that the rest of society has just kind of written off as damaged goods. He pursues them. And the gospel is the glorious truth that God has formed a search party. And that he has come after his people. And when he finds that he gets to his people, he doesn't just purchase them with some shekels and some barley. He gives his blood for them. He takes all of our spiritual adultery on himself at the cross in our place. All of our judgmentalism, all of our consumerism, all of our selfishness, all of our backbiting ways, he takes it all on himself at the cross. You know, it's really interesting. At the end of Matthew, Jesus cries out at the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That word forsaken is the same word that you find in Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. Describing the church. He gets forsaken by God at the cross. God divorces him at the cross. And he's being punished as an adulterer. Why? Is he the one that's being forsaken if we are the ones that are the forsakers of God? It's because he's taking our place. He's taking all of the junk that we deserve on him so that we can be purchased out of slavery and have a reconnection with God himself. He gets forsaken so that we can be accepted. Here's how the old hymn uh, The Church's One Foundation puts it. Uh, From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride and for her and with his life he bought her that's not right, what is it? With his own blood he bought her and for her life he died. He pursues any purchases look I'll end with this uh, some of y'all have heard, this, heard me tell this story before you've already forgotten it I'll tell it again um, there was this pastor um, in kind of the Pacific Northwest that I, I heard this story about that there was this woman who was in his congregation that she had been married, happily married for a number of years and came and visited him one day in his office and she said I need, I need to talk to you I need to sit down and talk to you about something sure sit down so she sits down and tells him, look, there, there's something that is eating me up inside. I haven't told my husband. I haven't told anybody. But when I was engaged to my now husband, I had multiple affairs with another man. And we kind of cut it off right before I got married. And uh, I haven't done it since, but like that guilt has just kind of been hanging over me for these few years that we've been married. And the pastor looks at her and says... You got to tell your husband. You got to tell him. So she, you know, is dreading this moment and thinking of ways that she can tell him. And so she doesn't want to just, you know, spring it on him when they're like doing the dishes. And so he, he, she plans this kind of evening together where there's like a nice dinner and they can kind of have some concentrated time for just the two of them to talk. And they sit down and she, you know, gets it out. She tells him, "When we were engaged." I had multiple affairs with another man. And he gets up from the table, walks out of the house, gets in the car and drives away. And she just, you know, it's like a puddle on the floor, just like tears collapsed, like her marriage is over, like her life as she knew it, over. She's a wreck, and about uh, an hour later he comes back with this box. And he kind of like takes her by the hand as she's still kind of a puddle, still a mess. And he brings her into their bedroom. And he opens this box and inside the box is this white robe, like a bathrobe that he had gone out and purchased real quick. And he puts it on her and he says, look, sweetie, I want you to wear this robe every time that you step foot in this bath, in this bedroom. Because I want you to remember and know that you wear the white righteousness of Jesus. And if that's how God is going to relate to you, then that's how I'm going to relate to you. Now, do you think that she loved him more or less after he did that? I mean, her heart probably just exploded with wonder and gratitude to, to know you have seen me at my worst. I have hurt you in ways that I can't even comprehend and you have responded with grace and with mercy, and with love. That is how the Lord Jesus responds to every single one of us, spiritual adulterers though we are. But I also want you to know that that's how he responds to the church, that the church, as messy as she is, as hard to be around as she is, Jesus pursues her and purchased her. And adorns her with his very righteousness. And so here's the question that I want to leave you with tonight. If this is how Jesus sees the church, if this is how Jesus feels about the church, how would that change the way that you relate to her? If that's the way that Jesus feels about the local church, how would that change the way that you relate to her? Let me pray. Father, to love you means that we learn to love what you love. And you love the church even though she is hard to love, (laughs) even though she is dysfunctional and messed up and disappointing. And there are many of us in this room that have been hurt by her. There are things about the church that we're confused by, that we disagree with. And I pray that you would give us grace to be patient with her to love her, and by your Spirit's help, I pray that you would enable us to love what you love. We need a lot of help in this area. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.